0: Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to uh, be here with you guys. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake. I am uh, one of the pastors of Midtown Church, and uh, it's so awesome to start a week off this way, getting to uh, hear from God, worship God, and uh, hope that you'll be encouraged in our time together this morning. So, hey, so we're, we started a new series last week that we're calling Who Do You Think You Are? And uh, it's basically a series about our identity and how we, uh, actually, how God has a lot to say about who we are. And uh, we said last week it's kind of interesting, but that oftentimes we have this idea that we uh, kind of achieve an identity for ourselves. So the way that we figure out who we are is by what we do or what we accomplish. But as we talked about last week, uh, that's actually backwards. That God shows us in Scripture that when He created us, He actually defined us. He he gave us an identity. He told us who we are, what we're about, and that who what we do as a result should flow out of who he says that we are. And so our identity is received or to be received from God, not achieved by us. And like that's a really big deal, and we're going to keep pushing on that throughout this series. We're going to spend the next uh, today included six weeks in the book of Ephesians in the first half of this book, chapters 1 through 3, really looking about looking at who God says we are, and then letting our actions flow from that, because who you are should determine what you do. And so uh, I'm really excited about this time that we have together uh, in this series. It should, should be a lot of fun. Now, before we jump into uh, the passage we're going to be looking at today, I want to just take a quick moment. I'm going to try to do this quickly. Uh, but uh, Give you a little context of the of the uh, letter that we're uh, writing or th- that we're going to be reading today. So, uh, the book of Ephesians was uh, written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, Paul, for those of you who don't know, like he's he's one of the most important people in all of history. He uh, one of the reasons you can make that claim is because he wrote thirteen letters in the New Testament in the in the Bible. And so, like this is a, like he's got a big chunk of the Bible he authored. Like that's had a lot of influence in our world over the last couple thousand years. And so like, he's a big, he's a, he's kind of a big deal. Well, he wrote the book of Ephesians. Now, um, it's helpful to know a little bit of his story, like he, uh, for those just as a refresher, or maybe this is new to you, but like he was, a, uh, he was a Jew, he was a Pharisee, he was a very devout religious leader in his day, and he persecuted Christians because Christianity in his mind was like this cult spinoff of Judaism, and so he really began to persecute Christians to the point of like even murdering a few of them until one day he met Jesus. And Jesus shows up to him and it, it like changes his life altogether, and he ends up like uh radically having his life transformed, and he spends the rest of his life. Telling people of the good news, of the gospel of who Jesus is and what he did his death and resurrection, so people could be made right with God. So, like, that's how he spends the rest of his life. And he does that by really going to like major urban uh, like, uh, cities and showing up there on the scene and starting preaching the gospel. And as a result, many people didn't actually like what he had to say real often, and he was beaten, he was uh, stoned, he was left for dead, he was thrown out of cities, and oftentimes he was also thrown in prison. It's funny because he wrote a lot of his letters. In in jail or in prison. In fact, most people think that he wrote the letter that we're studying, the the letter to the uh, Church of Ephesus, while he was in jail. So, like this guy didn't even waste his jail time. Like he really is. He was he was very committed. You could say to to Christ. Now he writes this letter to the Church in Ephesus, and a little bit about uh, the city of Ephesus that's helpful for us to know is that. this city was a, was a big city it 's about uh, a quarter of a million people during paul 's time, so two hundred and fifty thousand people. It was this major uh, thoroughfare it sat, It's it was if it was still around, it would be in modern day Turkey it sat right on the harbor, so it was this great place for trade for you know access to the water and also the Roman highway system went right to ephesus and so like yeah you, you know traveled via land, traveled via sea lots lots of uh, uh, um uh, trade there. It was a major banking uh, center for that part of the Roman Empire. So really lots of influence in, uh, in Rome. In fact, if you were to compare the city of Ephesus to a modern-day city like in America, it would be probably the equivalent of like what Chicago or LA is to, uh, to us. So because uh, it had a lot of influence in the Roman Empire, and it was also a very spiritual city uh, many of you all know this, but in Ephesus is where one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the, the temple of Artemis was, was, and like this is a really big deal for um, uh, that city, lots of spiritual activity, uh, and so, but not Christian, and so Paul shows up and he starts preaching the gospel to them. Now, you can read about this account in Acts chapter 19. It's a really fascinating read because what happens is like he shows up in town, he starts sharing the gospel, people start coming to Christ, and then people get upset about it. The other people who are not believing, they get upset about it because it's causing such a stir that it's actually affecting the economy of Ephesus, which is like a huge deal. Like lots of people must have been coming to Christ for it to actually have an impact on the economy because a lot of the people who like... Made money off the pagan worship in the temple of Artemis and the other places, like they get upset because it's actually hurting their bottom line because all these Christians are coming to Christ and they're no longer worshiping in the temple. And so they start a riot. And like this, there's a gigantic riot that breaks out because of, like, against Paul, against Christians, because of the teaching of the gospel. And so, again, Acts 19. Very fascinating. So they try to throw Paul out, and yet he somehow manages to stick around. And he stays there for most, most people think he stays there for about three years and helps start a church in Ephesus. And it's to that church that the letter that we're going to be studying today and over the next five, five weeks after this, that it's to that church that uh, he writes the letter of Ephesians. And so it's also um, maybe helpful to note that this church that he's writing to is a young church. It's probably a lot like our church, honestly, in that we're, we're, we're young, just trying to get our feet underneath us. Like, that would have been what they were like. They were probably about our size. And, uh, but unlike us, thankfully for, you know, for us, they were also very, like, opposed and, like, probably persecuted. So you can imagine, put yourself in their shoes. And then in addition to that, uh, their pastor is, like, founding pastor, is in jail. And so it's like, just imagine with me for a second, like what this might've been like. But like, if you're a part of that church and your founding pastors in jail and you're like, you know, got a lot of this opposition against you. And you're like, you're just a small little band of people. And you're thinking like, man, like, I don't know. I don't really know if this is worth it. You know, like maybe I should go back to what I was doing. But, uh, and then you hear that your founding pastor, uh, who is in jail has written you a letter. And so, like, you're like okay, well, that, that's pretty cool. I, don't you want to know what he would say? Don't, can't you imagine that Sunday? It's Kind of maybe a high attendance Sunday? Like, everyone's there that Sunday. Oh, we got a letter from Paul. Like, let's, let's see what he says. And one of the elders probably stood up in front of everybody and read this letter to the church. Now, if that was you, like, what would you start off with? Like, if you were Paul and you were writing a letter to this church while you're in jail, and knowing what all they're going through, like, what would you start off with? What would you say at the beginning of this letter? Well... Paul starts, as we're about to see, Paul starts with the issue of identity. Like Where he begins is he says, let me tell you who you guys are in Christ. Now, this idea, and we talked about it last week, but this idea of who we are in Christ is this really huge, grandiose theological concept. Being in Christ like, is this amazing idea, and we're, I mean, we're going to flesh it out over the next five, five six weeks, but basically... To sum it up, real succinctly, to be in Christ means that you've like Christ has taken your position on the cross, what you deserve, the punishment you deserve. God, uh, God the Son, Jesus Christ took that for you, and now because of what He's done for you, you can now be in His position, the position of Christ, standing in Christ, found in Christ, and so that all of His resume, all that He is, now counts for you. It's who you are. You're in Christ. This is huge amazing thing. And so Paul says, let me flesh that out for you. Let me remind you that this is who you are in Christ, and then let me flesh that out, what that means for you. And so he, he launches into this deal. And guys, let me just, quick aside here, I want to encourage y'all to read and study the book of Ephesians while we're in the series. And one of the things that I want to encourage you to do as you do that is to uh, take note of every time you see the phrase in Christ, like in Christ or in the beloved." in him. Show up, like circle it in your Bible. Like many of y'all do this in your, on your phones, spend time in the Word on the phone, stuff like that. That's fine, but sometimes you miss out a little bit on being able to like, get your page dirty. Like do something, then like draw attention to how many times Paul mentions that we're in Christ because every time he does that, he has something to say about who we are as far as identity goes. And you need to pay attention to that because my prayer throughout this whole series, and I hope you would join me in praying this, is that You would really allow God to impress upon your heart who you are. Again, our identity is not to be achieved, though that's how we think. Our identity is to be received from God. And that you would, every time you see it, you would actually say, okay, this is who I am. This is who God says I am. And since he's God, I should believe him. And this is what he says I am. So that hopefully, again, this is our prayer, that God would then begin to work that out in our lives. That who we are would be really influence what we do, how we live. So, study this. I really encourage you to study it. Mark every time you see in Christ all that stuff. But let me let me just read to you guys where how Paul starts this letter right after the intro, which we looked at last week. Those first two verses. In verse three, this is what he says. And you follow along with me. If you've got your Bible? Ephesians chapter one. Verse three, or else I'll have it up here as well. So, verse three says this: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places." Now, let me stop there because this perhaps is the is the most important verse in the entire book of Ephesians. Like this is kind of a theme verse, and so it's worth uh, trying to flesh this out real quickly for us before we move on. But this is an amazing verse, guys. Like, basically, what Paul is saying is, hey, blessed be God. And the idea of blessing, you see it three t- show up three times in this verse, right? Blessed be God our Father, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But bless, y'all know, can mean a couple different things. Paul's using it two different ways here. He says, on one hand, we're to bless God. And what that means is that we are to speak well of that we are to praise God some translations even just say praise praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ so just praise and then he says who has blessed us and in that sense blessing means to bestow favor upon or like to provide richly for and so another way you could read this is to say like praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has provided richly for us in Christ every spiritual blessing of the heavenly realms which is like this Unbelievable idea, an incredible concept. Like, man, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, oh um, like this is hard to believe, because if it's true, this is ridiculous. In Paul's day and age, like he's writing to a very spiritual city that had to do all of these different things sacrifices and all of like all these hoops to jump through, they believe in order to get God to bless them, which is just like how we function today, isn't it? It's really, I think, a universal cultural idea that you have to do something in order to get God to bless you. Like, you have to, like, you know, it shows up in religion in a sense, like, you have to show up at church. You go to church, maybe God will bless you. You spend time with God, praying, reading the Bible, having quiet time, perhaps God will bless you. Jump through this hoop, perhaps God God will bless you. I mean, on and on and on. Like, if you suffer, then perhaps God will bless you. I mean, we have all these kind of ideas in order how to get God to bless you. Like, if I'm good in this way, then maybe God will be good to me. We think that way. They thought that way. Paul begins this letter to say, it's not that way. Guys, hear this. God's good to us because God is good. Not because you're good, because he is good. And like, that's incredibly good news, is it not? And so like, there's nothing here that begins with like, if you do this, then God has blessed you. It's just straight up. God has blessed you. Let's praise God. God, praise God to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, not like he's holding some back, not like, well, he's done some of the stuff because he's good, but he's got some that are just for the special people who really do a lot of good stuff. No, it's like lavished upon everybody from the beginning who's in Christ because not what they've done, but because of what God's done, because that's who God is. And you can receive that as an identity statement. Who am I? I am one that's been blessed by God. If you are in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are blessed by God. And you can say that to yourself. Who am I? I'm blessed by God. Not because of what I've done, but because that's who God is. And guys, man, that, that is amazing. Well, that's where Paul begins. That's where he begins this whole, this whole deal. But this idea of every spiritual blessing, like that's a pretty rich concept. Like what are these spiritual blessings? i to spend some time talking about that because that's really what it gets into the rest of this uh, this passage we're going to look at. We'll go through verse fourteen, and just to say, like all every spiritual blessing, like he doesn't try to he doesn't even try to mention all of them. Like it would be too he would it would take forever to mention every single spiritual blessing that we've received. But Paul does enumerate a, a number of them, and so that's that's what we want to look at. So um, if you will keep following along with me, I'm just going to read the entire passage, and then we'll get uh, we'll start. Um, picking it apart a little bit starting again verse 3 it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places then he starts talking about what those are even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he this is god the father predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in, uh, in Him things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised holy spirit and so again i don't know if you are paying attention like starts with the father moves to jesus gets to the holy spirit and the end of this thing like he's working through the tree. he's promised the holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory that's a mouthful is it not you know what's so interesting just a little tidbit but like when when in the, in the actual greek like when paul penned this this was actually one sentence like This is a, a very ridiculous compound sentence in, in the Greek. 202 words. The thing that really holds it all together is the idea that we're blessed in God. And Paul uh, begins it and ends it with the same. In, fa- in light of how God has blessed us, let us bless. Let us praise God to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory. Like That's what all ties together. But what does it mean? If I was to sum it up, in just a simple way, what all this means, guys, and again, this is another identity statement. What this means is that I am his. You are his. We are God's. Like, this is what that means, and it is an amazing statement. You think, how in the world could that be, that, how in the world could that be true? How is it that I could be God's? Well, like he lists like five different things and I want to to try to look at them and we might have to blow through these. They all should be a sermon series in and of itself, but the, uh, it's the, through what God has done for us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that has enabled us to be gods. The first thing that we see is, is, is in verse four. It says, um, verse four says, even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world. And what this means, guys, is that you were on God's mind and in God's plan before the creation of the world. You were on God's mind, you were in God's plan before the very creation of the world. Before God did anything else, he chose you. Now, a couple of things that are worth noting here is that. That doesn't mean that he, like, looked way out in advance, like, God omniscient, just knows everything, like, looks out in the future and sees how you would live, and then says, okay, well, that looks like a good person, I'll choose them, or sees what you would believe. Okay, this person eventually is going to believe in me, and therefore I choose it. It means that God, before anything, before we could do anything to warrant being chosen, like, we did not exist, so you can't do anything when you don't exist. Before we existed, before anything existed, God chose us in Christ, And that is amazing. Like, that blows my mind, like, what that means. Like, it's unwarranted love. And we know that true love is is, is not love that's conditioned on what people do. Like, true love is unconditional love. This verse ends with the statement, in love. You'll see it at the end of verse four is in love. Like, in love, he predestined us. In love, he chose us. This is done out of God's love for us, not conditioned on what we do for him just because he loves us. And thank God it is because we didn't do anything to deserve it. Like this idea of him choosing us is really amazing in light of when you think about who we are. Like we talked about this last week. God created us to be his image bearers. He made us in his likeness so that people could get an idea of what he's like, his character, and how we live. And yet you look at how we live and you just have to see like we have dragged God's reputation through the mud. We have slandered his good name by how we live. We have distorted the image of God. We do not deserve to be chosen by God. We deserve, and this isn't fun to talk about, but it's true. Like We deserve severe, eternal punishment, separation from God. Guys, we deserve hell. And yet, God chose us in love? How ridiculous is that? Many of us, unless you're like a superstar when you were a kid, ma- many of us know the idea, have that feeling of what, what it is to be chosen last. I, l- I like what uh, how Garrison Keeler says, he's an author, he-, he says it this way. He says, the captains are down to the last begrudging choices. Slow kid for catcher, someone to stick out in right field where no one hits it. They choose some of us two at a time, like, hey, you and you, because you, it really doesn't make any difference. Then the remaining kids, the scrubs, the excess, they deal for us as handicaps. You know, I'll take him, but you got to take him, they say. Sometimes I go as high as six, but usually lower. But just once, I'd like to be picked first. To hear someone say, I want him, I want him. The skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes. I want him, come on, you're with me. But I've never been chosen with much enthusiasm. Friends, hear this. You were her first pick. Like, I'm not trying to be cheesy here. Like, God chose you before the creation of the world, before the foundation of of anything. Like, before anything, before he said, let there be light, God chose you. It's not like you were, and it's not just like you were chosen by some kid in the playground. You are chosen by creator God. Guys, this is what this means. And I, man, I pray that you would believe this. This is what this means. If you put your faith in Christ, forgiveness of your sins, if you are in Christ and this is what you can know without a shadow of a doubt, man, I pray you would embrace this. This is what it means. God wanted you. God wanted you. God chose you. In love, He chose you because He wanted you. You believe that? That's incredible. Praise be to God, Paul says it over and over again. Let us bless God for how he's blessed us, how he's blessed us. He chose us because he wanted us. And because of that, guys, I am his, you are his, we are God's. This is incredible. Praise be to God for his glorious grace. In addition, he moves on. He says uh, that God not only chose us, but he chose us for a purpose, to be holy and blameless in, in his sight. Verse 4 says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation world, that we should be holy and blameless before God, before him. Now, how is this possible? Because, like, I don't know about you, but, like, I don't, I don't really feel holy and blameless before God real often. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to speak for you, but, like, I'm, I'm not usually feeling super confident in that. So, like, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, like this gets back into this huge, you know, like I said, grandiose theological concept of being in Christ. That when we are when we put our faith in Christ alone for freedoms of sins, like we are we are placed in Christ. That we take his position because he took our position. And that you therefore get his resume. Like we like everything that Christ has done now counts for you. And so you are now holy and blameless where he took our blame and he took our sin. And guys, this is, this is a really big deal. Like, I, I want to try to help you get this a little bit more, but Like, because here's the thing. Either we don't believe this or we try to, like, uh, dilute it a little bit. You see, we, oftentimes what we'll think is, like, well, I'm not really holy and blameless before God, but maybe this is true that if I'm in Christ, then maybe it kind of pulls like we're kind of pulling like a Jedi mind trick on God. Like, we're not really holy and blameless, but maybe if we use, you know, the invisibility cloak of Jesus over us, that he can't see how sinful and blameworthy I really am. Which, by the way, like, is that not awesome? I just use a Star Wars and a Harry Potter analogy to make a point about, you know, the gospel. But uh, anyways, move on. So, like, that, but that's not how it is, right? Like, we don't, like, guys, if you think that way, don't think that way. That's not what God is saying. What he is saying is that when you have been placed in Christ Christ doesn't just cover your sin, though he does, but he actually makes you into a new person. That the old is gone, that the new has come, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Like, we are new. We're a new identity. We're new people. And these people can be before God, holy and blameless. You're a holy and blameless one in Christ, that's your identity, and that's amazing. We talked about it last week. Like That's why he would refer to the church in Ephesus as saints, as saints. Like Why in the world would he call them the saints? Because in Christ, they're saints. That's their identity. That's their position. They have this positional holiness. It's incredible. You have this positional holiness in Christ. It's incredible. And here's what this means, just on a practical level. What it means, guys... Is that when you're tempted to sin, you need to not give in. See, when you, give your, when you have your identity, it's, that, it's like, I'm a sinner. That's who I am. That Our identity is to drive what we do. And if you think that you're a sinner and you're faced with temptation, you're going to say, well, I guess I'm going to do this because that's who I am. I'm a sinner. Guys, no. No, that's not who you are tell yourself, no, I, I am going to not do this, not because I'm going to try real hard, I'm going to find this power with, like, within my flesh to not do this, but no, because that's not who I am any longer. I don't have to go back to my old ways, because in Christ, I am holy and blameless. I'm a saint, and so I have the ability by the power of God, by the grace of God, to say no to my former ways and walk in holiness because in Christ I'm positionally holy. I can live a holy life. Let your identity in Christ drive your behavior. Guys, that is so incredibly powerful. It's it's amazing what God has done for us. Again, Paul would say, we are holy and blameless because we are his. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. He goes on, he finishes this verse by saying, again, in love. and begins verse 5 by saying, in love he predestined us. And this is all done out of God's incredible love for us. You're his because he loves you. Now, quick aside here. I really don't want to give much time to this, but I'm happy to talk to anybody about it afterwards. But in this Passage like Paul hits like being chosen by God. He hits being predestined by God a couple times, and so like it's worth at least noting that uh, Paul's point in talking about being chosen and being predestined is to help you, if you're in Christ, to see how incredible it is that God wanted you, that He loved you, that you were on His mind in His plan before time. Like all of this stuff. Like it's a for Paul, this is incredible reason to praise God, but. Oftentimes, when we hear that kind of stuff, it raises a lot of questions in our mind. Like, if cho- God chose me, then like, does that mean, like, huh, did, did he, did, is there others that he didn't choose? And, like, it's real specific, like, did he not choose my dad? Or did he not choose my friend? Or how do I even know he really chose me? And, like, you can just go down that rabbit hole of all of those questions. And, guys, I just want to urge you not to. That's not why Paul wrote this. This is to be affirming and in our, in our assurance of how incredible God's love is for us and we're to turn turn it to praise for God. However, let me just try to, in a real broad stroke, ease your fears on this stuff. Let Let me just say real practically, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you believe he died and rose again for you, then that means just by the sheer fact that you believe that, that God chose you. And he did not choose you because you believe that. He chose you, and that's why you believe that. Okay, But if you believe that, you can know you're chosen. And if you think, well, what about my dad who doesn't believe that, or my friend or, or a family member who doesn't believe that, what about that? Does that mean God didn't choose them? Let me just say this. If they're alive, then we don't know. And so share the gospel with them. Share the gospel with them over and over in as many ways as you can and get other people to do it and love them enough to share the gospel with them because if they believe that, it, it means God chose them. And so share the gospel with them. And pray for them. So, again, we could talk more about this because I just don't want you to to be left in this spiral of like, oh, what does this mean, all this stuff, and miss out on the glorious fact that this means that God really loved you and wanted you. And that should then raise in us this incredible praise for God, as it does with Paul in this passage. Praise be to God. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the incredible spiritual blessings that he's given us in Jesus. It's amazing. Then he goes into the next thing, and like, this is my favorite thing of it all. And I man, I could talk about this all day, and I might, so you're in trouble. But um, like, he, he says this one. He says, That uh, this next, uh, verse 5, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Like, did you catch that? What did he do? He chose, he he predestined us for what? Not just for salvation. Salvation is amazing. Salvation is incredible, but guys, you can save somebody and not enter into a relationship with them. But God does not just save us, but he then adopts us into his family. Man, I love this. Like, this is incredible. And, and, and like, I know personally, I feel I really have grown in my love for this because Chris and I, as many of y'all know, like my wife and I, we adopted uh, our son Enoch. And, like, through that adoption, like, time with, like, through that adoption process, like, I feel like God just taught me so much about how much he loves me, loves you guys. If you're in Christ, like, you can know, like, he's adopted you. But it's so awesome. Like, just real, real short, I, I could talk about this again for a while. But, um, like, with E, um, our adoption journey, it took, like, 20 months, almost two years. And for um, 18 months of that 20 months, we did not know who we were adopting. We didn't, like we we had not we, we knew he was going to be five years old or younger. We knew he was going to be a boy, and eventually through that process, we 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 landed on adopting from Uganda, and so we knew he would be from Uganda. But that's all. That's all we knew. So we started calling him Baby U. For many of y'all walked with us through that, we all referred to to him as Baby U because you know you have to have a name. So we have Baby U. So through this process, guys, and it's hard to explain. You just have to trust me, but like. Krista and I, and even our son, Camp, fell in love with baby you. And yet, we, like we, had, never, we, like we had no picture to go with him, we had no, we had no idea who he was, and yet we loved him. And we ached for him. And at dinner, it was as if there was a, ta- a seat at the table that was unoccupied that should have been occupied. Like we were missing someone from our family. Like we loved this little boy that we had never met. And because we had never met him, he had never done anything to warrant our love, right? Like, he, we, we just loved him because we loved him. And it was in that that God was opening my eyes to see, like, how incredible it is, uh, his love for us, that is completely unconditional. He does not love us because we do something for him. He loves us because he loves us. And, like, we got to sense that with E, with baby you. Then finally, one day in August... We get this email from our adoption agency, and they call us. So they call Chris ahead of time and say, hey, we're sending the email. It's going to have a picture of your, of your boy. So she she uh, calls me right away and says, okay, they're sending an email. Don't look at it. They, Krista and Camp are at a park. She's like, we're coming to your office. We want, like, let's let's look at it together. So they show up in my office. Like, I'm dying to open this thing up before they get there. But show up in the office. I haven't opened it up. We sit, can't sitting in my lap. is sitting right next to me. Click on click on the attachment. Here comes. First picture, every time we laid eyes on Enoch. And it's like, that's the one. That's our son. And I I wish you could have been there. Like, this was one of the best moments of my life. But like, uh, uh, Camp sees this. And I say to Camp, hey, Camp, that's baby you. That's your brother. And I kid you not, what he says is, he says, that's baby you? I love him. I love him. My little two-and-a-half-year-old son. And we all felt that way. Soon after we left, we, we headed to Uganda to go get E. We, had, we go through the legal system. He becomes, he becomes uh, legally our son. Relationally, that had already begun to happen. He was a box. He is my son. I love him not because of what he's done. I love him because I love him. And yet God... I, guys, I'm, I, like, my love is incomplete. It's so imperfect compared to God's love for us. Because that's, That is so much more is how God feels about you and why he has adopted you into his family. You are a child of God. That is incredible spiritual blessing, is it not? And guys, I know that there are many of you in this room that walk around wondering, does God really love me? Some of you don't even, aren't really even sure if God even likes you most of the time. You think that he just tolerates you, or that maybe he's just out to use you for his purposes, but you're not anything more than an instrument in his hand. And guys, you will never fully grasp how God feels about you until you understand what kind of love he has for you. His love for you is not a general love. Yes, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But guys, that's a general love, and that's an amazing love. It's an undeserved love, and yet the love that God has for you is way more specific and amazing than that. God has the love for you that a good dad, a perfect dad, has for his son. Don't miss that. God has the kind of love that God has for you is the love of a good dad, a perfect dad has for his son. Like when camp, my oldest, was born, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced. And as I'm holding him in my arms, like I couldn't, I can't, I still can't to this day express what kind of love I had for him. Again, love that he didn't deserve. Only thing that he had done at that time was go to the restroom and cry a lot. But I like have this incredible love for him. That love that just like again can't express. But the best way I know how to put it, and I've heard another guy say it this way, and I like well, I love it. Latch onto it because it really does a great job. Like to say it physically hurt how much I loved him, guys. You are the sons and daughters of God if you put your faith in Christ. you're in Christ, you've been adopted by God. And the Father loves you with that kind of love. But even more so. Even better. That's the kind of love that he has for you. Because you're his son. Because you're his daughter. It's incredible. Praise be to God. Blessed be the God of the Father. God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, bless, praise to His glorious grace. Of course, Paul keeps going on and on about how we should praise God because this is how He has loved us. This is what he's done for us. And guys, just to talk about adoption, like, some of the ramifications of adoption, you could go on and on about what this means for us, but just to hit two real quick, like, one, that it means that we have the acceptance with the, of the Father. Like, we have access to the Father. Like, if you think about this, like, if your dad is the President of the United States, like, every, like, you could, no one could just walk up to see the president, you have to have an appointment, and only specific people even get an appointment. And if anyone ever runs towards the president, they get shot, right? <laughs> but if you're the child of the president, you can go and see the, your, your dad without an appointment, and you can run into his arms, and no one's going to shoot you. He's going to embrace you. <laughs> why? Unless there's some rookie on the on the staff or something. But no, no. Why? Because he, because he's your dad. Because you're his his son or you're you're his daughter. Guys, that's that's what we have. We're adopted. We have access to the father because of Christ, because we've adopted into his family. You can call him dad. You can call him father because that's what he is. In fact, he wants you to relate to him in that way. Guys, hear this. You have a father and his name is God and he loves you. You have a father, and his name is God, and he listens to you because he loves you. You have a father, and his name is God, and he provides for you because he loves you. It's amazing. The other thing that this means, guys, not only do you have access, but you also have an inheritance. And some of us might read this and think, oh, okay, it's kind of unfortunate Paul just says that we have adoption as sons. Because let me just point out, like, this is completely opposite. Like, this is not sexism on Paul's part. It, it's actually breaking all gender roles here. Because this is, in that day and age, all inheritance, all blessing, all of that stuff always flowed down the male line. Sons are the ones who get an inheritance. But here's, here's this. Paul is saying that in our adoption the adoptions as sons, he's including male and female in that adoption. He's saying the adoption that we have is like that of being adopted in, as a son, which means we all, male and female, men and women, will receive an inheritance. The same inheritance later on, we're told in Romans, as, as Christ, that we're co-heirs with Christ. We're told, and in, in Jesus says in the, uh, para, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, like, Beatitudes, like we will inherit the earth, like whatever that means, but like this is this incredible inheritance that we have because we are the sons and daughters of our God. We receive this inheritance. It's amazing. Verse eleven, he says it this way. Oh, I guess I could just look at the Bible, but in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. This is incredible. Praise be to God for this. This is, this is what we get. We're his, because we are His. You are His. You are God's. You're His child. God wanted you. In addition, guys, just to flow through these last things, and like, again, they all deserve so much more time to be spent on them, but like, we're also redeemed. In, in fact, in verse 7, it says, he says it this way. He says, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He has lavished upon us and all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And guys, this is what this means. It means that we didn't force God's hand that when we sin, God didn't begrudgingly set this stuff in motion. It means that this was his plan. He was always intending to lavish his grace upon us. That this is what he loves, loves to do for us because he loves us because it's who he is. And when he talks about this idea of redemption, like that idea is so rich. It, it means so much more than usually what we think it to mean. And though what we think it to mean is still amazing. Usually when we see the word redemption, we just think that it means that Jesus paid our debt. And it does mean that. The debt that we owe to God, he paid it. But literally, the idea of redemption carries with it the concept of being ransomed. And so it's not just that our debt was paid, but it also means that we were set free. That we were liberated. That we were captives to sin. And now our debt's been paid, and now we're no longer captives to sin. We have been set free. And guys, what that means, practically, is that whatever has enslaved you, be it drugs or alcohol or food or selfishness or whatever sin or whomever has enslaved you. By the power of God, what he has accomplished on the cross, the forgiveness of our trespasses, we have been liberated from that, and you can walk away from it. It no longer is your master. Righteousness has become our master. We have been made holy because of what Jesus has done. He's ransomed us. He's set us free. Now, it's it's incredible. How has that been? How has that happened? It's happened because of what Christ has done for us, because we and now, as a result, we are his. We are his. Praise our God. The last thing. That he says, it's so literally the fifth blessing here is found in verses 13 and 14. Let me read it. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And what this means, guys, is that you have been sealed, you have been made secure in Christ. That God has given us the Holy Spirit, that this is his seal on us, that we are his. Then in Paul's day and age, people would put a seal on belongings, let people know this is theirs. Well, that's what God has done, Paul is saying. He's done that with us by giving us the Holy Spirit. We are marked in God, by God, that we are gods forever and ever. Amen. It's never going away. And guys, let me just put this real real, real, uh, clearly. This means you can't lose your salvation. This means you can't lose your salvation. The, uh, it says that um, he is our guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. Like it's, it's a done deal by God. Signed by God, delivered to God, open when we get to God. No one else is breaking the seal. The, um, some of us will ask, well, are you sure? Like, I, I think maybe you can... Lose your salvation, and I would say, no, no, not only no, but like that's even the wrong, uh, wrong way to ask that question or make that statement. See, the the question is, can Christ lose a Christian? Not can you lose your salvation, because it's not your salvation. Like I did not save myself. We're told that the salvation is of the Lord. And so since I did not save myself, I cannot unsave myself. Since I did not elect myself, I cannot unelect myself. Since I did not adopt myself, I cannot unadopt myself. Since I did not seal myself, I cannot unseal myself. Guys, we're his forever and ever. Guys, you are his. You are his. That's your identity. You are his. Like, say it in your mind. I am his. I am his forever. I am his. Praise be to God. The last thing I want to say here. And, and guys, I, I hope you don't mind. Like we're going to go a little long because we're going to spend some time worshiping God. And so if you need to leave a little bit today early, then that's or at times, then that's fine. Go, but we're going to just keep, we're going to go and worship in a second. Because the rightful response to this is praise to God. But I want to draw attention to one more thing. And I actually want to ask the servers who are going to pass out the elements for communion to get up right now and begin passing this out as I'm talking about this last point because it's it's really amazing what this last point is. But if you go all the way back up to verse 3, you know, bless be or praise be to God our Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for how he's blessed us. Like, when you go back up to that verse... What you see is that all of these blessings originate for us in Christ. Like all of these comes to us in Christ. And so another way to put this is to say, blessed be our God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ or has blessed us in him, which is to say that we have been blessed by God, by God. We've been blessed by God in God, that what God, the way that God has blessed us is that the ultimate way is that He's given us Himself. The, the, the greatest blessing of all is that God has given us God. And that when many times, and like, it's nothing wrong with this, but like oftentimes, like you think of my prayer life, the things I'm asking for, maybe the things you're asking for is like, God, give me a car, give me a job, give me good health, you know, all these things that we want, these blessings we want from God. And God, because he's our good father, he's happy for us to ask him for those things. But don't do it in thinking that those are the best things you can get from God. Do it in light of the fact that you've already been given the greatest things you, you will ever receive. The greatest thing that you could ever be given is not the things of God, but it's God himself. And that is what God has given us. Praise be to God who has given us God. And guys, when we take communion, this is what we're remembering. That when Jesus, the night that he was going to be betrayed, like God is friends together for one more time, a Passover meal. He does this. He says, hey, he says, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body. Now, hear this this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And, guys, When we take communion, when you hold this in your hands in a second, when you take this, you are remembering that God has given you God. That Jesus said, this is representative of my body, broken for you, which is for you. My blood spilled out for you so that you can have a new relationship with God, that God would relate to you not on what you've done, but what God has done for you. The fact that you are in Christ. This is amazing by the breaking of his body, by the spilling of his blood. God has given us God. And all of these other blessings flow from that, that he chose us, that he made us holy and blameless, that he has uh, adopted us, that he has secured us, that he's redeemed us, all of these things. And so, guys, what I want us to do is then say I want us to take communion, and I want to do it as an act of praise as you're remembering what God has done for you. And I also want you to do it as an act of praise because get, like, that's the rightful response here. Like, in light of everything that God's done for us, like, you think, why in the world has He done this for us? Paul tells us, and by repeating the phrase three times and beginning the verse, or the, the sentence this way, he tells us it's all for the praise of God. That's why it begins with, praise God for how He's blessed us. It's how it ends with the phrase, Pra- to the praise of his glory. It's, it's throughout, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his so This is our response to what God, how God has loved us, what he has done for us in Christ, is to praise him. And so, guys, we're going to praise him. And so, if you will, take the bread. God given you, God. Greatest blessing of all time. Take this, drink the cup, and then let's stand and praise our God. As you do that, I want to pray for us, begin our praise with a time, a time with a prayer place. Father, God, praise you. We praise you. We praise you in light of how you have loved us. God, we do not deserve it, and yet it is amazing. God, help us wrap our minds around it more and more. That our attitude, our posture of prayer, not just now, but every day is is praise for how you have loved us, what you've done for us, all of these blessings that you have lavished upon us out of your great love for us. God, we praise you. You are amazing. May you be honored in this time. Amen.